I'm one of these people that have, if there's no music playing, there's generally a song going in my head. If there's not a song going, there's at least some sort of mm -hmm. rhythmic element. So I like to have music going all the time. And mm -hmm. I pretty much have music playing around me 85% of the day. Hello and welcome back to the Ear Fuel Podcast. As always, I'm Joel Freemark, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at @getearfuel and at the Daily Guru. The podcast is always available in the iTunes and Google Play stores under Ear Fuel and at getearfuel.com. What you heard at the top was part of my interview with Rusty Hodge, who is the founder of Soma FM, which is one of my favorite music streaming sites on the planet. I've been turned on to more music than I can possibly recall from Soma FM, and we're going to get to that interview right after we look at the new Lion Eyes album. As promised during my interview with them last time, I'm diving into Nuclear Soul, which continues the band's reign as true masters of riff and grooves. This is one of those records that you can hand to that friend of yours who likes to say, Rock is dead! His name might be Gene Simmons, because every second of this album proves that rock and roll is alive and well in 2017. Nuclear Soul overflows with fantastic musicianship at every turn, but the keys throughout are really something special, especially on songs like the album opener and Ain't It a Shame, they are super tasty. Both the progressions and the tone pull you in instantly, and they're firmly rooted in the idea that hard rock and deep grooves can happily coexist. That's also true of the guitar work on this record, as from the gorgeous opening on Fire in Athena to the almost thin Lizzie-esque tones on a number of songs, Nuclear Soul is made to be turned up until the volume knob breaks off. Oh, and do not miss out on the baseline to the song Face of Mars because Lion Eyes, among other things, boasts one of the best damn rhythm sections in music today. And that's one of the big keys. They move as a band, as a single powerful unit, and the energy that comes through the speakers is going to leave you with a permanent grin on your face. But beyond the music itself, as we discussed last time, Nuclear Soul is a loose yet somehow unintentional concept album, and you can feel the sci-fi undertones all across it, but the vast majority of this album is simultaneously very relevant in our current world order, and you are going to dig the lyrics that you hear. Now, while this album has more than its fair share of big rock moments... It's the contrast that they create with the more restrained, quieter moments like Let You Down, Fire in Athena, and what is probably my favorite track on the record, Ain't It a Shame, that really make the album truly special. The bottom line is that Lion Eyes are doing everything right in rock music, and if you're looking for a record that is a true pleasure to experience in every aspect, put your ears on Nuclear Soul. Moving on. The better part of 15 years ago, I stumbled across a website called SomaFM.com. I honestly don't remember how I found it, but I don't think there have been two consecutive days since that I haven't listened to their music streams. Starting off with primarily ambient electronic and then branching out into more than two dozen creative channels, SomaFM continues to deliver truly commercial-free, exceptionally programmed streaming music to this day. 
A few weeks back, I linked up with Soma FM founder Rusty Hodge to discuss the evolution of streaming music, regulations that actually impede the success of smaller broadcasters, and how they ended up everywhere from DEFCON to outer space. So where did the initial idea for Soma FM come from? It was an evolution over a period of time. I've, um, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to, you know, run a radio station. And, uh, you know, in college, I did the college radio thing. And, you know, I majored in mass media and radio and television. But I learned that, like, the way to get to the top of a radio station was not through the through the programming and the content side, unfortunately, through the sales side. And uh-huh. that's the part of radio I really, really hated. <laughs> so, <laughs> And so I kind of got frustrated with that. And uh, I got sidetracked into computers for a while. My, you know, my dad had run a computer company when I was younger. And he was a real early, you know, kind of before the PCs took off kind of thing. So I'd always been around computers. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, it became like a second nature to me. And uh, to make a long story short, when the, I was pretty early on the internet and uh, really loved the fact that, you know, someday there's going to be these multimedia things available like CD-ROMs only over the internet. That's going to be awesome. And uh, I think it was like in 94, 95, when Real Audio first came out with their first version of Real Audio. Okay. And I was doing some consulting to a TV station up here in San Francisco, getting them on the internet. And uh, their CTO was all excited about this real audio product, which at the time was kind of expensive. It was like $2,000 to buy. And so we bought it, installed it on the server, and we started doing some audio programming. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. Too bad it sounds worse than AM radio right now. <laughs> but I continued to work with a few other you know, TV stations and radio station stuff, you know, just getting them on the internet. But I was always thinking like, yeah, one of these days it's going to get good enough I can do my own radio station. Mm-hmm. And so there was a couple false starts with uh, some FM, uh, you know, back before I even thought of the name for it. You know, I would set up something, have it running for a week or two using like at the time, like real network servers and stuff and mm-hmm. tell all my friends about it and get to listen. They really liked it. So I thought, okay, I'm, I'm on to something here. And then I'd also been going out to the Burning Man Festival that happens out in the desert yeah. out here. Yeah. And I had been doing like micro, pro, micro power broadcasting out there. So we set up like a transmitter. And at first we were playing all this real ambient stuff because all the sound camps out there basically were like the big raves right sure. so there's all this oons, oons, oons going on and it's like oh my god where is the i need to chill where's the mellow music so the next year i brought out uh, a transmitter and broadcast uh, a bunch of chill music out there kind of the playlist that would eventually turn into like drew um drone zone at night and groove salad in the day in the daytime uh-huh. and uh and you know it had a, and you know, people were coming from all over Burning Man, like, wow, you guys, this is awesome, you know. And so I got the idea that uh, I should really figure out a way to start getting this on the internet. And around uh, 98, uh, Shout, I think it was 98 when Shoutcast came out. When the sure. first incarnation of Shoutcast wasn't really, still wasn't really good. The fidelity wasn't great, but it was okay. Played around with it a little bit. And then like in 99, it's sort of like the people's work connection started getting faster, at least in, in like, New York, San Francisco, the big cities, Seattle. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, you could actually start streaming a 128K MP3 stream, and, you know, people could listen to it, and it sounded pretty good. In mm-hmm. fact, you know, to our ears at the time, it sounded amazing. And so the first incarnation of some FM was uh, Drone Zone got launched, just called this Drone Zone. 
and uh, shortly thereafter, Groove Salad and Secret Agent, because they, they all came from like music libraries of stuff I'd kind of collected when I was doing DJing and Michael uh-huh. Prower FM radio stuff. Okay. I also had a small ISP at the time called SomaNet, and uh-huh. so my thought was like, well, let's just call this Soma FM. And then I checked, and the you know URL was available, and some other things like that. And early in 2002, it got branded as Soma FM, and we had three the three channels to start with. And then I was part of like a small DJ community and I got and a couple of guys from that wanted to get involved with it as well. So they started ha- helping out. And uh, I think we ramped up to about 11 stations at that point in time, although s- several of them are gone now. Um, around 2002, we went off the air for a while when there was the whole music royalty thing. Yeah, yeah. Like we got our first, you know, the, basically what happened is we knew that we we're going to have to pay royalties sure. and we assumed it was going to be something like, you know, in the range of like three to 5% of your revenues. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so everybody's just kind of going along waiting for the court decision to come out, decide what the final rate would be. And the final rate comes out like in 2002 and it's retroactive actually to like 1994 or whenever you'd started right, broadcasting. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing was like the way it was priced was, I don't remember the exact number but it was per song per listener not related to your revenue at all so yeah and you know i did the math and it was going to cost us a thousand dollars a day in royalties which was insane so i kind of panicked and pulled the plug on things for a while and continued to like fight to get things changed and to make a long story short uh there's a large number i should say there's about probably 10 or 15 people involved, most of them small webcasters, but also some folks from Pandora, which was just getting started. Sure. And uh, Live 365, which was Mm -hmm. still alive at that time. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, yeah. And, uh, you know, we went to Washington, we talked to all these Congress people, and, you know, eventually the the tipping point was when, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was, it was a very uh, conservative... Uh, the kind of uh, senator you wouldn't think would be on your side, but the national religious broadcasters got to him because they're saying, hey, this is affecting all our little internet stations. We have all these uh-huh. churches with little internet stations. And so between us and those guys, you know, he's, you know, he took the lead on it. And, uh, and basically we got this thing called um, the small, small webcasters amendment, small webcasters agreement. Um, but basically it said like, if you did less than $5 million a year in revenue, you'd have to pay like between 10 and 12% of your revenues, which was still like twice what we were expecting to pay. But at least it was not like 10 times, 20 times what our revenues were. Right. Right. It was tangible. Yeah. And some FM had always existed on listener donations and, uh, you know, affiliate marketing fees. Like when you look at our playlist and you see a song that's playing, you click on it to go to Amazon and, you know, buy the record. And that's still, that wasn't very, you know, I think we're making maybe $1,000 a month off that at the peak. Mm -hmm. But most of it was, you know, donations. And to make a long story short, we came back on the air after that agreement and continued to grow since then. And uh, now we're up to, I think, 36 channels. Mm -hmm. About four of those are the holiday channels. And then uh, we have another seasonal channel that comes up from time to time to do special things like we turn it on for South by Southwest, feature the music of that music festival. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we've turned it on for uh, some other music festivals like Iceland Airwaves. And uh, I I don't think we ever did it for Coachella, but we try try to, you know, feature like the smaller, but not real small, like, you know, the 
the not giant musical festivals yeah, because they seem yeah. to get plenty of coverage from sure. like the NPRs and all the other radio stations. Yeah. We wanted to do these kind of interesting ones that people didn't know as much about. South by Southwest has now grown to this massive thing. So sure. we still kind of do that one out of habit, but uh, you know, it's, it's a little bigger than what we'd normally do. Plus they've even now, we uh, did a little help with them and encouraged them to start their own radio station. So they mm-hmm. do, they have like, I think they call it South by FM or something like that. That's cool. That's cool. So then, what what was your kind of musical upbringing then? Because obviously it was uh, eventually uh, would be very heavily rooted in you know down tempo and electronica and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I've always been kind of I've always le- leaned towards the more mellow side of stuff. Like I really like a lot of the seventies kind of mellow album rock stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, although I got really into new wave in the eighties, and that's when I was doing college radio in the early eighties. And it was all, you know, synth pop, new wave stuff. Um, but in the, God, when was that? Like probably in the, in the early 90s, I started discovering a lot of different electronic music. And mm-hmm. some of it was kind of fun and silly, but not really memorable, like a lot of the early techno. Yeah, uh, yeah. But then I started discovering there was this, this other kind of music that was like down-tempo, ambient, ambient groove. I first started hearing it played on, um, there was a show on KCRW radio down in Santa Monica. Sure. And um, they had this overnight show. What was it called? Um, Bruno Gez, who went on to produce a bunch of really good ambient compilations, was the host of it. And uh, they'd, uh, they'd play a mix of stuff. And it kind of opened me up to this whole new genre. And so I really dove deep into it. And I started just going to record stores all over the place and finding stuff. And they'd play weird, obscure stuff that they got sent to them from Europe. And luckily by that point, the internet had some, a few, you know, you know, like little record stores online sure. where they, you'd browse this text catalog and then you send them an email and yeah, they'd email yeah. you back with the price. And, and I think it was even before PayPal, but you know, so I started building up this big collection of this kind of ambient down tempo, chill out music kind of before it was a thing mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's been like one of my favorite musics since that time um i mean the genre has really grown and expanded you know it's got you know there's like the idm side of it there's like a lot of like kind of glitchy things there's yeah. a lot of uh, there's a lot of like kind of instrumental hip-hop stuff kind of hip-hop being produced right now that's real interesting but you know i too i think like so, i was talking to somebody who said like you know 92 bpm is my favorite speed of music <laughs> and which is not to say I don't enjoy other stuff, sure. but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm one of these people that have, if there's no music playing, there's generally a song going in my head. If there's not a song going, there's at least some sort of rhythmic element. So I like to have music going all the time, and mm-hmm. I pretty much have music playing around me you know, about 85% of the day. Yeah. And uh, so I'll, you know, I'll listen to stuff that's all over the road. And I do like some really good fast music from time to time, but uh, you like, you like to keep it cooled down. uh, Yeah. I definitely like to keep it in that sort of, you know, 88 to 98 BPM kind of mode most of the time. Nice. So then on the kind of more cultural side of things, you know, obviously even as recently as the last few months and few years, there are still a lot of issues impacting independent streaming music and independent music sites. So uh, how have you guys managed to evolve and stay around with all of that? So um, royalties has always been a big pain and it's kind of frustrating too, because so many of the artists we play, um, they 
they don't even sign up for the royalties, right? So they're not even getting the money. And then what happens is there's big leftover pools of money, which then gets prorated, distributed to generally the big name artists, right? Because, yeah. you know, and the only way we can deal with the royalties is there's a, there's a carve out now for non-commercial broadcasters, but there's limits on to your listener size with it. So each channel can only have... I don't remember the number exactly. It's like 160,000 listener hours a month. Okay. And, um, you know, like some of our bigger channels had were more than that. And what we ended up doing was we split them off into, you know, we have three different versions of Groove Salad in there. Okay. Uh, and that's how we could work around that royalty thing. But it also, at the same time, it kind of makes us wary of growth, right? We don't want to really promote some FM too much because if suddenly we grow and we hit that, 160,000 monthly listener hours per channel, everything above that, we pay a really, really high royalty per song per listener. And it, there's like, that tends to, we go over that around the holidays because we do a couple holiday channels sure. and, you know, right up leading up to Christmas, there's, you know, just 2,500 new people listening to things. And so right. we end up just, you know, just on that alone into paying like three to $4,000 in extra royalties. So you're basically being penalized for being successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, it's it's kind of weird to like have to structure your business to not grow. Yeah, uh, you know, to stay be below a certain size. That's that's the that's the biggest challenge I think we have right now. I mean, there's also the challenge of like you know the the big dominant players like you know Spotify and now Apple Music and Pandora. Um, you know, kind of dominating the listening that a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it used to be in the old days when you search for like free internet radio, some FM would be like one of the top three hits. Sure. And now we're on the second page because the front page is dominated by, you know, a bunch of other players who have a lot of money to spend on, you know, optimizing their, their search engine rankings mm -hmm. and, you know, running ads and things like that. And, uh, I guess that goes along with us having to, you know, in, at this point in our life, not being able to grow much more than we are, than the size we're at right now. I guess that's good. But then our challenge is like staying relevant at the same time of not growing. So sometimes like not growing and just staying stable is much harder than either growing or just, well, shrinking, sure. losing your audience. Sure. Well, and so, so working off of that exact thought, you guys seem as a company, you know, as a service, fiercely dedicated to staying indie uh yeah yeah and and how does that both positively and negatively serve you um the positives it's so nice just to you know be able to play things we want to play because we like them and we care about the music as opposed to have someone saying like hey we've got a marketing deal in place with blah, blah blah we need to play more of their music sure just the fact that, you know, not having to answer. I've, I've you know, over the years, I've worked at some companies that were VC-backed startups. And, you know, all the crap that you have to go through to deal with the VCs. And, you know, they, they insist you do this, you do this, you do this, you use this partner. Yeah. You buy services from this guy, you do this. It's like, I don't, I so never, ever want to have to be involved in something like that again. It's just nice to, you know... I don't know. It's like, it feels wholesome and real. And then personally, like I kind of alluded to earlier on, I do not like advertising and sales. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was the whole reason to start some FM is to, you know, as it is now is to, you know, keep it commercial free, be the best thing of like, you know, kind of like a cross between college radio and Sirius XM, you know, a mm -hmm. bunch of channels of really neat music, that, but no commercials. 
And, uh, you know, of course, if you had any kind of, you know, commercial investors or whatnot, they'd want to see more return. And, you know, it's like, there's another big radio network that's about as old as us. Actually, they're, they're a couple months older than us, and that's digitally imported. And, um, mm-hmm. God, what's their, they used to be called Sky FM, their side brand, but they rebranded recently. Um, but, you know, digitally imported, you know, I think they came on the, on the scene on Shoutcast a couple months before we do. But, yeah, I've known those guys for a long time. They elected to go the commercial route. Mm-hmm. And they're making, you know, they're really successful with it. They're, you know, they're doing great. And I, 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 re- I applaud and I respect them, but it's also like not something I want to listen to. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, like I've been satisfied to, you know, keep some FM at this like lower fiscal level at the same time. It's kind of frustrating that, you know, I end up having to wear a couple hats and it would be really nice to, you know, most of our staff, staff, I should call it. They're not really staff. Most of the people who help out with some FM, they're either part-time, there's oh. part-time volunteers or they're part-time contractors. And I wish I could pay them more and I wish I could have them working here more because there's a lot of neat stuff we could do, but we don't have the finances to do that. So then, you know, you guys, though, do get involved with certain things. You know, I know you were just over at DEF yeah. mm-hmm. and you guys are there every year. Um, how, how did you guys make that happen? Because it's it's such a perfect match. Yeah, I it, mean, is. it um, is. They, I'm trying to remember. I think they originally reached out to us because... Uh, they do this, you know, they call it the chill room. It's basically a big ballroom filled with tables and chairs and, mm-hmm. you know, people work on stuff in between sessions and, you know, people who are working on projects and stuff do it there, little informal meetups. And they've always, you know, in the past, I guess they just had, you could sign, people could sign up to be a DJ there, but then, you know, the music would be all over the road. And sure. so they said, hey, we, why don't you guys come and do this? And um, since, you know, I'm I'm an old internet guy, I'm an old, you know, I don't, I'm not good enough to be a hacker, but I, you know, I, I have that kind of mentality. I mean, some FM is one big giant hack in a lot of ways. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so like, and I'd actually known about DEF CON forever and followed their stuff, but I've never been to one of their things. And so I was real excited the first time we went. And, uh, yeah, the only thing I don't like about doing DEF CON is it's, I, I end up doing so much work for the broadcast and everything that I don't get to go to any of the panels. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure. Sure. Do <laughs> so thing. Yeah. I either have to like, I'm either they, they show them on the hotel TV system. So like uh-huh. either like when I'm getting dressed in the morning, I'm like the only time I'll get to see a panel is watching it on TV within the hotel or after the event when they, they make the audio files that are available. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's been a real fun thing for us. And you know, when they proposed us doing the music for the chill room, then I suggested, well, why don't we just make it also a channel on some FM? And uh, what we'll do is since we have a crew, we have a small group of DJs that are going to be doing stuff there, we'll kind of program the DEF CON radio channel. Most of our channels are pretty much, they're almost all one programmer does the entire channel and the channels are consistent. Uh, where DEF CON moves around a bit, like it's, you know, it's, Overnight, it's slower. Uh, in the mornings, it's more up-tempo. It becomes kind of mid-tempo in the afternoon. And then right around like six, five or 6 o'clock, it gets a little little wacky for a while. Then it goes into like, you know, mid-tempo again and then chills back down. Uh-huh. Kind of like what we were doing at the event itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I proposed we do that. And, uh, and then I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we like, you know, got little bits from the different talks and could drop those in between some of the songs and... And, uh, you know, that's how the whole channel came into being. And now it's turned into be a nice kind of relationship. I generally enjoy doing it. And, you know, definitely the, uh, the other DJs that work on it love doing it. 
I would love it more if I just wasn't on call, basically, you know, <laughs> you 24 seven for three it. days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's one of the, I really like that about the channel with, you know, the, the, the bits that are interspliced and, you know, that leans into kind of, uh, mission control and space station and, um, you know, where you, where you have other audio, you know, so do you just kind of grab two? I mean, is there thought to like, we want to have this, you know, space mission recording going with this music or are, are, are when they really sync up well, are those just happy accidents? So, all right, I'll tell you like uh, kind of the history behind uh, mission control and all that. I don't know, a long time ago, I was, there was a shuttle launch about to happen and uh, people were talking on Twitter. It's like, oh yeah, the best music to listen to the shuttle launch with is, you know, put Space Station Soma on in the background or put Drone Zone or things like that. And then I thought, oh, you know what I really need to do? And I just, the launch wasn't for like another hour. So I'm like, oh, let me get a feed of the stream. And I'm going to patch it in and I'll just kind of mix it in with, with the music. And, uh, and then I had to queue up a couple things because I was like, what if something goes wrong? I don't want to, pl- you know, play a song that's like real kind of like glorious sounding and happy and upbeat if something goes wrong. So I had like a kind of ominous song queued up as well. And, and that went over real well and got a ton of good feedback on that. So then for the next, I think, launch or two after that, uh, I did the same thing, just announced it be on on uh, on space station Soma, and then some people started saying like, "Why wouldn't it be cool if if you guys just did this like the whole time the mission was up with all their mission audio?" And I'm like, "Yeah, we should really do this." So I uh, we started a new channel called Mission Control, and we used a mix of music. Basically, it's uh, it was like this. I had this playlist that I called. Uh, drone in which was basically like music that was kind of between space station soma and drone zone and okay you know i would use it for if uh when we were doing burning man broadcast we would you know transition from space station music to drone zone music over about an hour and kind of mix that stuff in between i thought well this is really good for it because you don't want you don't want real in your face stuff and you don't want you know stuff that has talking or other things right and so we put it together and then i did some stuff where um I used some external audio equipment and we used a ducker uh, to actually duck the music when the, the NASA audio feeds were happening. Okay. Cause like the mission audio, right. There'll be gaps. There'll be like two or three minutes. Sure. And sure. Happens, and then they'll start talking. And so we wanted to drop the music down just when they were talking and then bring it back up. And so we had that and a couple of, you know, we had a slightly complicated audio setup for doing all that. And uh, yeah, we'd kind of like just, uh, depending on what was going on, like, you know, if there was going to be a spacewalk, we'd put some more, you know, some music with some more tension. Mm-hmm. Um, but then other times we just like, let the music play and realize that actually a lot of the time the music, you know, kind of just takes on what's going on in the story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So definitely it's not like the happy accidents that occur of like someone saying something right in sync with the music. Yeah. Those are definitely some happy accidents, but we do try to do a little bit of, you know, syncing the overall day's mood of the music with the, you know, with the kind of content that's going to be played. So what do you see as kind of the future of, of Soma FM? Hmm. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that and not coming up with a lot of good answers (laughs) because the only thing I can think of is like, I don't know. I have this feeling that in the future, you know, the the Spotify's and the Apple Music's are massively going to dominate, and you're already seeing people using a lot of playlists on there. But I think those play the problem with those playlists is like not everybody's always hearing the same thing. You know, a playlist can get boring if it's repeated. 
Um, so I was trying to think like, you know, what can you do that sort of, what can we layer on top of like the Spotify or Apple music experience? And you definitely can't do things like we're doing with space station Soma or, or the police scanner on the SF 1033 channels. And you can't even do, you know, like, um, you know, like on bagel radio, Ted does his like, uh, you know, special, you know, I, I don't want to call it a call-in show because it's usually people emailing him or texting him or posting stuff on Facebook, but his his interactive Friday show, 480 Minutes, mm-hmm. where it's pretty much driven by the listeners. Like, you're not able to do anything like that with Spotify or Apple Music. But then I was thinking, like, what if we build some sort of system up where instead of, like, we have all, the, we have the equipment that plays back the music and you know, segues stuff together and mixes it the way we want it to be mixed here at our broadcast head end. And then we stream that out to everybody. What if we ended up putting that technology out on the mobile device itself? And we, instead of actually sending them the songs in a completed stream, we're basically sending their device away to assemble something together. And that way would allow people like, say you like everything on Groove Salad, except there's one particular artist that we play fairly frequently and you hate them for some reason. Uh-huh. What if you could get like a custom version of Groove Salad that still had all, you know, like the, the segues, the mixes together and, you know, some of the, the production elements, the personality stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's a customizable stream just for you. But at the same time, it also kind of catches back up so that you're pretty much listening to what other people are listening to, except for those songs you hate. Hmm. And so that's a thought, but there's so much that goes into doing that. And, you know, like there's so much that goes into creating the streams and RNs, like what's involved with getting that, you know, basically pushing all that technology out to the handset. Yeah. You know, because we do a lot of audio processing to keep the levels consistent between songs, not just the levels, but like the equalization, like certain songs are mastered with really heavy bass Mm -hmm. and you play them against another song that doesn't have much bass. You want to boost the bass a bit on it to keep it consistent or turn down the bass a little on the first one. And, uh, you know, and and of course, like you, you, even though, you know, they make a big deal about, oh, you know, Spotify has and Apple Music has this stuff to keep the levels consistent from song to song. That's not really true because if you're listening to stuff like, yeah, maybe the levels are somewhat consistent, but there's there's perceived loudness of a song versus actual loudness of it. And just by normalizing something to a certain level doesn't take into account the perceived loudness of it. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, like we, all our playout systems have these Orban audio processors in which is what the over-the-air radio guys use. Now, mind you, we use ours gently, and like the radio stations are trying to be as loud as possible. We yep. don't turn ours up like that. But it makes for a really nice, consistent presentation. And that's something that, like, you know, I use I use Apple Music. You know, I, I want to know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And and I don't see that presentation there. Like, it's, the, the at, you know, the current Spotify and Apple Music products are not something that I'm satisfied with. So I keep thinking like, you know, what can we do to take the best of what some FM has now and integrate it with a product like Spotify or Apple Music and do it to the way, I'm I'm picky about how I want things to sound, probably more picky than a lot of people. (laughs) But, you know, I think people do appreciate it the way we're doing it. And, you know, that could give them the best of both worlds. So how we move into that direction, not exactly sure, but the uh, the benefit of that would be we would no longer have to deal with music royalties because you know your the Apple Music and the Spotify subscribers would be paying that. We're basically just you know like the things we might be adding is you know material we want to play that's not available on Spotify or Apple Music, and uh, you know so we might serve those up ourselves or we might make a deal with like a Bandcamp or something like that to serve it off of there. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's 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 that's the thing I've been thinking a lot about lately in my 
my spare time, which is not really a lot of my time. Um, and that's kind of, I think, the direction we want to go for the future. I mean, I can imagine this like type of radio service in the future where like you, you say things like, okay, I want to hear like, you know, headline news once an hour and I want to hear weather reports and I want to hear traffic reports. And then all this stuff gets assembled and put together on your phone. But like just listening to it, it would sound like, you know, a really good over the air radio station sounds, except, you know, it'd be particular to the music you're listening to, you know, that you want to hear the types of music you want to hear. So uh, that's an area of interest to me. And I hope to do more with it in the future. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I appreciate the time and uh, I appreciate the Soma FM. It is, it is a well over a decade personal favorite place for my ears. Excellent. Well, thank you. My thanks again to Rusty for making time to chat with me. Head over to SomaFM.com and check out their channels. They are all amazing, but if you're looking for a place to start, my favorites are Mission Control, Lush, Defcon Radio, and Groove Salad, but I love pretty much everything they have. They also have great apps, so you can take them out with you, so go check it out. Now, before we wrap the episode, I do, of course, have your weekly Ear Fuel listening assignment. For those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. Each week, I assign an album to listen to in full, beginning to end, without any distractions or interruptions. It stems from the idea that these days, music has been relegated to a bit of a background task. You're at the gym, you're at work, you're out driving, whatever, and this assignment is about taking some time each week to consciously listen to music for the sake of the music alone. This week, well, it's actually going to be really simple. Go listen to the new Lion Eyes record. I know I usually assign a classic album in this space, but this is easily one of my favorite albums this year, and I want everyone to take some time to check it out. So go put your ears on it and then pass it to a friend you know who digs kick-ass rock albums. Lion Eyes, Nuclear Soul, thank me later. So that's all for this week. As always, the podcast is available in the iTunes and Google Play stores along with at GetEarFuel.com. Want to let you know I'm going to be on hiatus until early November, so be sure to track me down on Twitter at, at the Daily Guru and at GetEarFuel, and if you're one of those Instagram types, I am under the name EarFuel there as well. That is your weekly EarFuel. Share and enjoy.